Well, this morning, we continue on in our consecutive expository series in the Gospel of Luke. And we're now in the ninth chapter, um, beginning to get close to the end and soon into the tenth chapter of the book of Luke. Our scripture reading this morning, uh, as you can see on the screen, uh, I believe you will see the uh, message title. Uh, that's the, uh, the series, and uh, I believe the next one should be the message title. Perhaps, perhaps not. Okay, uh, but anyway, the, today's message is the return, and I think you'll see why uh, very quickly here. Uh, our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 50. Remind you, this is the word of the Lord. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. And will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let those words, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you All is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is 
for you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, it is the return. The return from a long journey and trip up way up north into a place called Caesarea Philippi, territory of the Gentiles by and large. And yet now Jesus had come back and was starting the journey back and went up onto a high mountain that we looked at last time. And we saw there that he was transfigured, gloriously transfigured, and with Elijah and Moses. Now, the next day, Jesus and the three, having gone up to the mountain of transfiguration, it now is time for them to return. Return back to the valley. They've been on the mountain, on the high tops. Now they got to go back down in the mundane place of where there is not only good things, but difficulties and hardships. They have to return from the mountain to the valley and to the press of the crowds that were waiting to see Jesus. They had been wondering, how long is it going to be before Jesus gets back? And they were waiting and waiting, and the crowds continued to grow. That next day, when Jesus and the three disciples that he had taken with him up on the mountain, when they arrived, they encountered another massive throng. And a scene of consternation, a scene of confusion and loud yelling, a distraught father was being seeing his son, his only son, abused by a demon. Now, here's some good news. The good news is that Jesus took three of them up on the mountain with him. Peter, James, and John. But that leaves three quarters of the disciples right in the place, right where the action's happening. And they had already gone out and through the Lord's power successfully been able to cast out demons. Not only Jesus was able to. They were in the power of Jesus and they had been able to cast out demons. So, this isn't a problem, right? It's not a problem. They had previously been able to do this. So, no big deal. They probably were thinking to themselves, yeah, we got this. We've already done this. But, not this one. They tried, and they tried, and they could not. He continued terrorizing the scene, and they could not find a way to evict him and cast him out. Now, as soon as Jesus arrived, he heard this loud voice from the Father crying out 
for help. Crying out to Jesus, help me, my son. The father then told Jesus the story that you just, we just read and what had happened. So here's today's outline. The compassion, the communique, and the corrections. Three C's, if you like it. Uh, the compassion, the communique, and the corrections. Let's look in and dig into the first one. The compassion, that's in verses 37 through 43a that we read in our scripture reading. Now, Jesus was clearly, as soon as he heard this story from this man and what had happened and what his disciples had not been able to do, he was rather disappointed, shall we say, with his disciples. Listen to, again, verse 41. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Now, Jesus is seeming to be pretty hard there on the disciples, isn't he? Uh, you see, the obvious question is, why could they not now, having done so previously, how could they not now be able to cast out this demon? But they couldn't. And Luke does not tell us, but his cohort in gospel writing, Matthew, adds to Luke's account of the disciples wondering why they failed. Luke just says they couldn't do it. Matthew tells us that they were scratching their heads themselves and wondering, why can't we do this? Why can't we get this done? We've done it before. What's wrong? 1720 of Matthew. And you know what? Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew does, that Jesus said the problem is not, the problem is not your lack of power. It is your lack of faith and trust in me. Isn't that, doesn't that happen uh, so, many, so often? We perhaps... The Lord may use us somehow in an opportunity, and it just goes amazingly well. It's like, it's like God is right here. He's clearly opening the eyes of this person to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then we go on from that, and before you know it, we run into another situation, and we start thinking like them. Ah, we got this. Well, I know exactly. We're going to use the same it doesn't work that way. It's always the power is the Lord's. And they need to simply trust. But they were self-confident. Not confident in their Messiah, in their Savior. So the disciples may have reminded Jesus in this circumstance of what happened 
to Moses. You remember when he was leading the children of Israel out of bondage? And yet, time and time and time again, the children of Israel were disobeying and were not following the directions that were given to them. They were grumbling. They were complaining. Here, I wonder if this was not something that the greater Moses, Jesus, was basically feeling like, man, I feel like Moses back there. And what was happening to him? You know, why aren't you guys getting it? And yet, despite the frustration with his disciples, Jesus compassionately invites the man to bring his afflicted son to him. And when he does, with what appears to be unbelievably for this very powerful demon, Jesus seems to be able to very quickly secure the boy, uh, uh, cure the boy of all his physical injuries caused by the demon and return him to his father in all safe and sound in a relatively just a short time. And this, you imagine the disciples are still sitting there really now scratching their head like, he made that look so simple. You see, the crowd saw it all. And when they saw Jesus, even though this demon had made one last effort to try to false uh, 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 the, the boy, get him, get him down on the ground and convulse him in uh, that did not work. And the crowd saw what Jesus had done. And the text says they marveled at the greatness of God. And that word greatness is full of splendor or magnificence. Magnificence. Interestingly, Luke is the only one of the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's the only one who records the impression the miracle made on the crowd. Others record the event, but he says the crowd was astonished. It was a, they were absolutely full of splendor. That they, what they saw, it, they saw magnificence. And Luke is the one that records that. Remember, I told you at the beginning of this series that in some senses, some people call Luke's gospel the gospel of what? Amazement. The gospel of amazement or magnificence. Now, that's the compassion that Jesus had on this father and restoring the boy to his uh, father. Now, what about the communique? Communique is just a word for another way of saying communication. That's in verse 43b through 45. In the next section, Luke links the crowd's amazement with Jesus' assertion of his coming arrest and suffering. Listen again to verse 44. And Jesus, let's see, and Jesus let, 
Um, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Right when everybody else is marveling and having unbelievable acceptance of Jesus and just just amazed. Look at what he is doing. What a servant of God he is. They're just astonished, blown away. At that very same time, Jesus, having rebuked his disciples, he's telling them, you don't know what's coming. But I've told you, and I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be killed. The Son of Man is going to be taken and arrested and suffer and die. And so, this was now the second time that that truth was communicated to the disciples. You should remember at the time, several weeks ago, when Jesus was going up north and he said, who do, who do people say that I am? It was in that same time frame he told them for the first time that he was going to be taken and killed and rise again. Now he's telling them in this scene of amazement and wonder on the one hand, now he's sitting and beginning to tell them this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken from you. You see, the kingdom of God coming so soon the disciples thought, because they were, did you realize they, at this point in time, they were absolutely convinced, man, we're right on the cusp of the revival that we've been waiting for. We are absolutely right here now. It's going to happen any day. And they were just pumped for that reality. And now Jesus pours water all over what they are expecting and have been anticipating. They are on the inside as well. And they think, man, this can't, we just can't wait. We see that unfold in the rest of this, this text. And yet, here's Jesus doing a Debbie Downer, telling them, you're not going to have me. I am going to suffer. Let this sink into your ears. He's saying, listen to me. The Son of Man, me, I am about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they knew exactly what that meant. Hands of men to Gentiles, to the Romans. And they knew that was... So, they did not understand it. And furthermore, guess what? They didn't want to understand it. They started going, ah, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it, Jesus. I don't want to hear it. You're messing up our plans. We got this all. Don't, don't, don't tell us that stuff. Just, just don't, don't say that. That's basically what they were doing. And all the while, they were whistling past the graveyard. They, they knew he had said it, but they were trying not to. It's going to be all right. Sorry. It's, uh, everything's a kind. So, 
They didn't want to think about the implications of what Jesus said. The first time or the second or as he will say later in Luke again before the reality comes to pass. Now, the last section is verses 46 through 50, and that's what we could call the corrections. Notice that's plural, plural, corrections. Our Lord told his followers that he had to suffer and die. But then he went on to give them a little lesson about greatness. What really is greatness? Because the boys were at it. They were trying to decide among themselves, hey, we know we're the inner circle. We know we're the insiders. We know we are going to be at the top of the rung of power. But which one of us is going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the president? Who's going to be, you know, what position they had gotten, probably trying to get off their mind other things and just keep pretending that everything's okay. They found themselves once again in an argument. Imagine a Galilean <laughs> in an argument. <laughs> that's really strange. No, that's, that was pretty common. Uh, th these guys uh, argued quite a bit. And so... The Lord, our Lord, sometime later, it's probably not the same day. A number of these events are close, but not, there could have been, probably was some time between the last two events and this one. But sometime later, Jesus found his disciples discussing the pecking order of the new kingdom of God. <laughs> they, they knew they had a, a very, very good spot in that, and yet... Um, they ended up turning that into an argument. And Jesus rebuked them, but not in, a, in a, a very harsh way. He'd already had said some pretty straightforward words to them. But he rebuked them with a, a lesson. He rebuked them not with words. He went and got a young boy. You see... He rebuked them by embracing a child in order to show the way of true greatness. What traits do you find in young children? Well, simplicity. Child's life, if, if, if it's a healthy um, family that he's or she is in, uh, simplicity. Things are pretty simple for a child. Uh, not having to worry, carry all the cares of, like, as adults do. Simplicity. Faith, sincerity, Isn't, don't you love that about a child, uh, the sincerity? They don't, they don't play games. They don't, don't say one thing and mean something else. And dependence on their parents. Those are the characteristics, simple characteristics of a child. And basically what Jesus was saying to his disciples is that's who is the greatest, the one that can keep it down to things that simple and not go trying to go beyond their pay grade, go outside of what I have put them here to believe and to know and to do. You see, Jesus was once again talking about the upside down kingdom of God. I've told you many times before, Jesus came to put things right, to 
because everything is upside down. It has been since the fall, and he's coming to bring the kingdom that's going to put the ones that have been on the bottom to the top. The way up in the kingdom of God is to serve others as though they were the kings. That's what Jesus was saying. That, see this boy, this little boy, that you should be treating him like a king. You see, now, that said there was more than one correction. There's that one. But then there was another one. And it came from a surprising place. John. John. The disciple of who? Of what? Love. Remember? Read, read, read John. First John. Second John. Third John. Read the gospel of John. I mean, there's so much love in those passages. He was the apostle of love. And yet, here he is. Maybe this is another John. No, it's, it's, it's John, the brother of James. Aren't you surprised at what he did and said? Listen again to verse 49 through 50. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Now, John reported that the disciples had seen someone confronting evil. And apparently, they were doing it with success. Unlike the disciples, they couldn't. But this guy was running around and taking the name of Jesus to him, and miraculous things were happening. He was confronting evil. He wasn't just trying. He was doing it. But Jesus rebuke John because of his sectarian or factional spirit. You see, the boys, meaning the disciples, they were acting like they were in some kind of exclusive club. I don't know if you, some of you ever, ever watched any James Bond movies, but if you ever saw Sean Connery and uh, never say never again. Uh, at the end, of course, as Bond always does, he saves the world. And after he saves the world, he's in the pool uh, with Kim Basinger and on the phone talking to the big wigs. And one of them is, says to him essentially, uh, Mr. Bond, uh, I would like to invite you to my club. And uh, as Sean, uh, Connery is looking, James Bond is looking over at Kim Basinger with uh, adoring eyes. He says, uh, thrilling, thrilling prospect, uh, thrilling prospect. You see, they, they're acting like they are some kind of, they're the elite echelon. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to tear down and tell them, no, that's not how this goes, guys. Listen, listen to this. I think more, uh, Leon Morris, a commentator, came pretty close to getting it right. This is what he says about this situation uh, with James. The man who opposes demons in Jesus' name is to be welcomed, not opposed. He is on the right side. These verses are not teaching us a soupy, sentimental ecumenism, but trying to prevent a jealous, narrow provincialism. You see what he's saying? He's saying he's, he's not, this is trying to keep down this jealous, narrow provincialism. And that was true in the illustration that I did about the bond thing, and that's true here. They thought they were the top of the food chain. You see, now, let me say this on the other hand. This, of course, does not mean that we should be unconcerned about false teaching or unsound doctrine. If you don't believe me, believe John again. Second John 9 through 11. Listen. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the gospel, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That doesn't sound like somebody that's like, oh, just every. But you see, there is a, there's a fine line there that Jesus is teaching. You see, these two segments, these corrections, these two segments serve as an inoculation against pride and a standing reminder that the fellowship of Jesus should have servant leaders. He asked me to remind you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do need servant leaders. And thank you that through the years you have given to your church. Many times, though, we are provincial. We are somehow think our club is better than others. But, oh, Lord, let us with humility and with grace given to you and with a love that is both strong and courageous when it needs to be and yet never assuming that somehow we are better than others. Make us all servant leaders for the cause of your kingdom and your great name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our hymn of response. Thank you.
now receive God's good word we call the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits all who love him in sincerity. Amen.